If you need help getting Social Security Disability Benefits, then this podcast is for you. Give me 15 minutes and I'll pull back the curtain on disability and reveal the secrets to winning I've learned over the past 25 plus years. Hi, I'm Jonathan Ginsberg and I'm a practicing Social Security Disability Lawyer. I want to help deserving claimants just like you win the benefits you deserve and not one penny less. Now, if you already know you need help today, go to ssdanswers.com for a free and confidential evaluation of your case. It takes just two minutes. That's ssdanswers.com, and I'd love to hear from you. Now, let's start the show. Hi there, and welcome back. Today, I want to talk to you about why vocational expert testimony can be the key to winning your Social Security Disability claim. Now, I get lots of questions about Social Security Disability hearings. Questions come in by email, as well as comments on the videos I produce, questions on my law firm Facebook page, and of course, questions come in person when I'm talking to my own clients. Social Security Disability hearings are unlike other court proceedings because one, they're closed to the public, two, There's no attorney representing Social Security. The judge, in your case, acts as both the finder of fact and the representative for the Social Security Administration. And three, there will be a witness there to testify in your hearing that you've never met or never even heard of. Now, it turns out this mystery witness is actually very important to your case. This witness is called a vocational expert witness, and his or her testimony will play a big part as to whether you win or lose. I want to explain to you who these vocational witnesses are and why they're there. First, let's talk about the who. Vocational experts, or as we call them in the Social Security business, VEs, are what I would call professional witnesses. Every hearing office in the country maintains a panel of VEs, vocational witnesses, that can be scheduled to testify at hearings. If the judge in your case has seven or eight hearings on a particular day, that hearing office will probably schedule that one V, that one professional witness, to testify at all seven or eight of those hearings. VEs are paid a flat fee for each appearance they make, even if they end up not being called to testify by the judge. As a professional witness, expert witness, the VEs are not there to hurt you, nor are they there to help you. They're there to answer questions from the judge. If a VE's testimony helps your case, that's because the question posed by the judge prompted a response that was helpful. If the VE's testimony hurts your case, this is because the judge's question was not helpful to you. Sometimes I get angry comments on my YouTube channel, things like, that vocational lady said I could do a warehouse job, but she lied. I can't do that. Well, in reality, the VE is not lying about anything. She or he is simply answering the judge's questions, and if the judge's question contains a list of very mild limitations, then the VE's testimony will be to say that a person with these mild limitations can perform a variety of jobs, and the VE will testify specifically about the jobs a person with those mild limitations could do. Now, the VE assigned to your case will have a resume, and that resume will be in the E section of your electronic case file. You can look at it as your attorney can. 
Now, when I look at VE resumes, most of the time they reveal a person who's worked as a job placement case manager, someone who's conducted employability analysis for insurance companies, maybe someone who's conducted worksite analyses for industry, or even a job coach. Vocational experts are expected to have a working knowledge of a Department of Labor publication called the Dictionary of Occupational Titles. We call it the DOT. You may hear that term. And a working knowledge about the practical requirements that employers require of various levels of new hires. So as a big picture case, vocational experts have knowledge about a wide variety of jobs, Uh, as well as access to databases that describe the physical and mental requirements in theory of every job that exists in the national economy. Many VEs have practical experience placing workers who've lost capacity to perform past work but who are trying to return to something new. Judges use vocational experts because the main issue in your case is whether you have the capacity for work, or more specifically, the capacity for simple, entry-level type of work. The judge is not supposed to guess about the minimum requirements of a job, so he or she relies on a vocational witness to help him or her understand how your medical problems impact your capacity for work. The judge will review the medical evidence, listen to your testimony, and decide what the medical records say about your physical and mental limitations. Then, based on those conclusions, the judge will turn to the vocational expert to ask for an explanation about how different levels of limitations are likely to affect your ability to keep and find a job. So the judge is not going to come out and say to the VE, I've decided Mr. Jones here has a mild level of depression that would not allow him to concentrate in a high-stress environment, but would allow a simple entry-level low-stress job. Uh, what, What jobs could he do? That's not the type of question the judge asks. Instead, the judge will ask typically a series, usually several, sometimes four or five, long multi-part questions in the form of hypothetical questions. And of course, the judge is phrasing these in the form of a hypothetical person, but he's really talking about you. Although, again, some hypotheticals are going to be more limiting and some less limiting, but obviously this is ultimately about you. Um, the judge may ask one or two hypotheticals, or he or she may ask six or seven. And the questions, as I noted, can get very long and complicated. The judge is going to talk really, really fast, so it may be very difficult to follow what's going on. That's, again, your attorney can explain to you after the hearing what went on. So I, I made note of a couple of, hypo, of a hypothetical question, typical hypothetical question uh, that a judge Uh, in previous cases, has asked a vocational witness. I've changed it a little bit uh, for uh, confidentiality purposes, but this is a fairly typical question. Um, This is the judge talking to the vocational witness. Ms. Ms. Blank, Ms. V.E., I want you to to assume a hypothetical person who is the same age as our claimant with the same education and the same work history. I want you to further assume that this hypothetical person is limited to light work, and light work, by the way, has got a very specific definition in Social Security, with the following limitations. This person is limited to jobs that are not in a fast-paced work environment. The tasks of this job stay the same, and there's very little in the way of changes in the work setting and very little in the way of decision-making. 
This person can occasionally interact with the general public, but frequently interact with coworkers and supervisors. This person should avoid climbing ladders, ropes, or scaffolds. This person should avoid working around unprotected heights or hazardous machinery. This person is limited to occasional kneeling and stooping. This person is limited to frequent exposure to temperature extremes, dusts, fumes, gases. This person is limited to frequently in using his left upper extremity. Based on the following, based on this hypothetical, based on those following limitations, could this hypothetical person return to the claimant's past work or any other work? Now, what does this all mean? I'll explain that to you in just a second. Let's take a break now. When we come back, I'll tell you what these hypothetical questions mean and what you can do to make sure the hypothetical questions are as limiting as possible to make your case as strong as possible. Don't know where to begin? Get my free Secrets to Getting Approved Survival Kit. Inside the kit, I discuss such things as how do you know if you have a case? What to do if you're denied? How to avoid common mistakes. And my ever popular, how to avoid trick questions from the judge. Subscribing is free and easy. Just visit ssdanswers.com and look for the survival kit for instant access. Remember, time is eroding your position every day. Don't delay, act now. That's ssdanswers.com for your free survival kit. Welcome back. Now I want to explain to you what these hypothetical questions mean and how you can have an effect on the questions that the judge asks the vocational witness. So in the question I just read out to you, what the judge is doing is he's asking the vocational witness if a hypothetical person, and of course the judge is really talking about you, the claimant, can this person do entry-level unskilled work at the light exertional level? Light, as I mentioned, has a ter- is a term of art in Social Security, and it's defined as being able to uh, stand and walk for six out of eight hours in a day, lift 10 pounds frequently and 20 pounds occasional, occasionally. Now, I can tell you from experience that if the hypothetical question the judge asked was exactly as I read it out to you, there are dozens of unskilled light jobs that would exist, and that would mean if the judge accepted that hypothetical as being reflective of your capacity for work, you would lose. However, the judge might ask a second hypothetical question. In the hypothetical number two, the judge might say, Mr. Vocational Witness, let's keep everything the same as hypothetical number one, the same limitations, but I want you to add the following, following limitation. Because of medication side effects, chronic pain and fatigue, hypothetical person number two would be off-task 15% 15% of the workday, would that limitation allow such a person to perform the claimant's past work or any competitive work in the regional or national economy? And in this, if that example was, was, was valid, the vocational witness would testify there are no jobs because no employer would allow an employee to be off task 15% of the workday. So if the judge used that question as the basis for his decision, you would win. So what does all this mean to you and what can you do about it? So first, I want you to notice how specific the parts of these, the judge's question are, how specific the questions are. 
Uh, one, he talked about no ladders, ropes, and scaffolds, occasional kneeling and stooping, occasional interaction with the general public, no changes in work routines. So each of these adjectives, no, none, occasional, frequent, avoid, uh, these are all terms of art that have specific meaning in the Social Security disability context. So the vocational expert and the judge are sort of talking in their own language. And these factors come from several several places. Uh, some come from the medical record and more accurately from a functional capacity form that your doctor would complete at your lawyer's request. That's a very powerful place because basically what the judge is getting from the doctor is that is the judge is having the doctor translate your medical problems into very specific work limitations. No kneeling or stooping, no uh, working around dangerous equipment. Uh, that is coming directly from the doctor. But I don't want you to discount the power of work activity limitations that arise from your testimony. Because I'll tell you, I have won cases where the judge created hypothetical questions directly from my client's testimony. My client testified about specific limitations, and those limitations made it into the hypothetical that the judge used to approve the case. I've also seen cases denied when a claimant inexplicably refused to talk about the severity of her own limitations. This actually happened to me recently. My client, despite preparation, the judge would say, can you do X, Y, and Z? And the pro, oh, I can do that. Well, what if the client, my client had said that she could not do these sort of things, the medical record said she couldn't do them. But when she said she could, the judge basically accepted her testimony as being truthful and denied the claim. She basically pulled defeat from the jaws of victory. And I have no idea to this day why she did that. I think people get nervous or they think that they're uh, being overly complaining. Um, but again, uh, the, the, the answer to this is you want to practice. And this is why you really need to practice your testimony before you're hearing with your lawyer. In fact, I'll give you a tip. I would say that you should use the same form that the judge uses when framing his or her questions. You can search for and, and print out Social Security's official functional capacity forms, but there's a form for physical limitations. That's form SSA4734-BK. I'm going to put these in the show notes. And the form for mental limitations is ssa 4734-F4. Now, the names and, and, and uh, numbers for these forms may change over time, but that's what they are right now. And if you simply go to Google and type these form names in, you can actually print out the actual forms that the judges use when looking at, at your, your file, listening to your testimony at your hearing. And each of these forms contain dozens of statements uh, they're multi-part forms describing a specific limitation. And next to each limitation, you'll see four or five possible answers. It could be none. It could be moderate. It could be uh, marked or severe. There's different levels. And obviously, the more marked limitations, marked, M-A-R-K-E-D, uh, basically means it's a significant, very significant limitation or severe or no capacity at all, the better it is for your case. So what I would do, and I tell my clients to do, is print out these forms, look at each numbered statement, then grade yourself from none, meaning no limitation, moderate limitation, severe limitation. And, and again, I, I think it's, it's not credible to say that you have severe or no capacity in every single question on these forms, every single, single statement on these forms, but you want to have a number of marked or severe 
limitations. Um, and what I would do is look at the limitations that you've marked as severe, uh, severe or marked, or very significant limitations or no capacity for functioning in that area, discuss with your lawyer, and make sure that when your lawyer asks you questions, the, the direct examination you're hearing, um, that these questions are asked so you can get on the record uh, your testimony that you have severe limitations in specific areas. You have very, very marked limitations or no capacity in these areas. So if there are also if there are limitations that apply to you that are not on the forms, make note of those and discuss with your lawyer because you want to make sure those get on the record as well. So you see a lot of this is getting the stuff on the record from you, directly from your mouth. Uh, you want to get these limitations on the record. So I'll give you an example. In the mental functional form, the mental form I just gave you, or the number I just gave you, question 1A4, told you there's multi-parts to these, asks about or makes a statement about your capacity to carry out, understand and carry out very short and simple instructions. So if your response was unlimited capacity to carry out short and simple instructions, then that limitation is not significant to you at all because if you have unlimited capacity to carry out short and simple instructions, then you could do most jobs. However, if you have no capacity or severely limited capacity to understand and carry out short and simple instructions, there are going to be very few jobs you could do. This would make your case stronger because every job requires some capacity to understand and carry out, at a minimum, simple instructions. On the physical capacity form, question two asks about sitting and standing. If you have the capacity to sit, let's say, for six hours and stand for two hours, then you could get through an eight-hour day. That's not going to help you very much. But if your total sitting and standing adds up to six hours or four hours, then that basically says you cannot do full-time work and you would therefore be disabled. Now, I want to make it clear. Generally speaking, having limited capacity or no capacity in one or two areas probably is not going to be enough to win your case. You want to have limited capacity uh, in multiple areas, or you want to have a moderate limitation in multiple areas and a severe limitation in three or four areas. That is something that if a judge makes that determination, then you've got um, a pretty good shot at winning. Your case is going to be pretty strong. Um, and realize as well that the judge is going to make the ultimate decision about your level of limitation. But your testimony can be very, very important because it's coming from your lips as to what your limitations would be. I think more importantly, though, if you're using the forms that the judge uses or that Social Security uses as well, you have a big advantage over most other disability claimants because they're not using these forms. You're using the same language and the same actual form the judge uses. And you can use these forms to prepare your case. So you're talking in the same language as the judge uh, at the time of your hearing. Now, as I mentioned before, some judges will actually incorporate your answers to these questions, these functional ca capacity questions, directly into their hypothetical questions. So you would, you're knowing, you, you know it's coming because it's, you're looking at the actual form and you can prepare your answer and that's going to greatly improve your chances at winning. The more you can speak the same language as the judge and the vocational witness, the better it's going to be for you. So to take this a step further, the more influence you and your lawyer have on the contents of the question that the judge asks the vocational witness, the better it's going to be for you. Um, remember, the judge, the vocational witness's testimony, this expert witness, professional witness, this testimony does not exist in a vacuum. 
His or her testimony will help you, as, if, as I said before, if the judge poses hypothetical questions that contain multiple limitations and a severe level of limitations. But, of course, the testimony will hurt you if the a judge poses hypotheticals that only include very limited or mild limitations. You and your attorney can and should prepare so that your testimony addresses what the judge needs to approve your case. And by using the same form that the judge uses, the official Social Security form, like I say before, you have a huge advantage. So take advantage of this knowledge and help, help your attorney prepare your case for a favorable decision. I hope this was helpful to you. Please uh, rate and review this podcast on iTunes, wherever else you get your podcast. And if I can be of assistance to you, please reach out to me. My website is ssdanswers.com. So for now, this is Jonathan Ginsberg, and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks a lot. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. Subscribe to this podcast for regular updates at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this podcast useful, then please give me a five-star review because it helps others see the value of my information. Thank you in advance. For a 100% free and confidential evaluation of your case, visit ssdanswers.com. That's ssdanswers.com. Don't delay. Act now.